So it seems like generally there's uh, a general outline of my, my homilies lately have been, uh, of course, we read the gospel passage, and then after that I start by pointing out something that, that I recognize in the gospel that we don't really live today, and then I share something that's difficult, maybe a little bit too sharp, and uh, then I reassure you that I'm not talking about anyone in particular, but the whole people, and of course I include myself in that, and then there's maybe a challenge or something. Uh, that's, that's the general theme, and I don't... I, that's, it's not going to be any different today. Um, I don't know why I'm wired this way, but for, for some reason I'm, I'm wired this way that I notice these things in the Gospels that for, for whatever reason, we just aren't really living it very well uh, in today's world. And again, when I say we, I, I include myself and I'm not necessarily thinking of any particular people. Although I know because I include myself in this, I know that, that there are some people that, that are included in this. Um, and, and I, like I said, I don't know why I'm wired this way, and, I, and I'm sure some of you think it's, it's more of a curse than a blessing, uh, and, and uh, it's gonna be okay, I think. But, but nonetheless, I think, I think we gotta let the gospel challenge us. This is, this is something, and this isn't just like a, a, a gospel thing. I mean, it is that, for sure. But I mean, I listen to a number of different things, whether it's religious things or like professional type things, and in the professional world, there's this mentality of, of always growing, always seeking to grow. Uh, never really being satisfied with the status quo. And so I suppose part of that is, is, is part of what I take into this. But then also, I guess the main thing is this, that, that we're all going to be judged someday. And, and the standard that we're going to be judged by is not my thoughts or my feelings. It's not your thoughts or your feelings. But the standard that we're going to be judged by, that, that is to say this, the standard by which our eternity hangs is the standard that Jesus establishes in the gospel through, through the word of God and through his church. And so if, if, if we want to take that seriously, which Christians for 2,000 years have took, taken that seriously, if we want to take that seriously, then, then it seems like it would make sense that we would kind of take an honest assessment of, of where we're at in our practice individually, of where we're at in our practice communally and our, our general mindset towards the gospel. Because if we're not going to be honest about it, then, then we're just trying to play games with the Lord. And if there's one thing that's really clear in the Gospels is that Jesus doesn't, he doesn't play games. Um, but instead, he comes with a serious mission. And that serious mission is to save your soul and my soul from eternal damnation. Uh, and so we, we want to let him do that, right? We want to let him do that. And part of letting him do that is, is to come under his lordship, to let him instruct us and guide us away from damnation and toward salvation. Uh, it's, it's just so important, and I, I, hope, I hope you agree with me on that, even though it's gonna mean being challenged, just like it is for me, being challenged. At the, at the last Mass, while I was preaching, I was just like being challenged myself, and it's like, man, this is a little uncomfortable, but, but that's okay. It's, it's okay that it's uncomfortable. Okay, so, so with that, what, what do I wanna do? So I wanna do something that I've been doing lately. Uh, so open up to page 60 in your missalettes. This is where the gospel passage is found. So our gospel passage is a little bit long. For the next three weeks, so including today, next week, and the Sunday after, we're spending three consecutive Sundays in one single chapter of the gospel of Matthew, and that is Matthew chapter 13. So you remember, I guess before this, a few weeks ago, we spent a number of weeks in Matthew chapter 10, which is a really long discourse, Jesus's missionary discourse. In chapter 13, Matthew, or excuse me, yeah, Matthew tells us that Jesus sees the crowds and he teaches to them, it says, in parables. 
So he does this for an entire chapter, just about an entire chapter. The last couple of verses don't really match up with, with this, but, but um, we're going to be hearing from these, just kind of going section by section, verse by verse, through the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13, speaking in parables. And, and of course, today we heard the parable of the sower, and we heard the explanation of the parable of the sower. And that's kind of, it, it, it seems like that's part of the theme of Matthew 13, is Jesus will teach something, and then some people will come to him, which we'll look at in a minute. Some people will come to him and ask for an explanation, and he'll give an explanation. And then he'll preach another parable and he'll, he'll give an explanation of that. And, and so in some ways he's helping us. But before we get to that part, I just want to simply invite you to consider something. So consider you're, you're walking down the street, Grigla here, big, big city, and someone comes up to you who's not a Christian. And they say to you, um, okay, I've been reading the gospel lately. And Jesus, it seems like he spends a lot of time preaching or teaching in parables. And you're just like, yeah, he does that. And they say, great, like, why does he do that? Why does Jesus teach in parables? If someone was to ask you that question, just think about this. What would you say? What's the purpose of Jesus' teaching in parables? The thing that I notice, and this is, this is where I, I notice a difference. The thing that I notice, and, and this is, I think, a lot of what I was taught when I was growing up, is that Jesus uses parables because parables are easy to understand and they help us to understand what he's teaching. That's, that's why he uses parables, so that we can hear what he's saying and, and we don't have to, you know, like he, he preaches the message of the gospel and then he uses parables like to put some flesh on the bones kind of thing. Um, that's, that's, that's what we tend to understand that, that it's like this, this, it makes it easier kind of mentality. When in fact, if you look at our gospel passage today, uh, so not the first paragraph, so the first paragraph here on page 60 is the parable itself. But then the second paragraph is, is this. Jesus actually explains why he uses parables. So his disciples come to him, so which, which again is, is maybe the first point here, that he's preaching to the crowds, and it's his disciples that come to him. The crowd doesn't rush forward to Jesus to find out the deeper explanation, but it's, it's his disciples that come to him. So, so again, this is something I know I mentioned way back when I was doing the, 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 the Kerygma series, that a disciple is somebody who steps out of the crowd. But anyway, it's his disciples come, who come to him and they say what? Why do you speak to them in parables? So they ask the very question that we're wondering about right now. He said in reply, because knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven has been granted to you, but to them it has not been granted. So, so the first thing, we're, we're, there's more to the answer, but the first thing that Jesus says is, is because you have precious information and they don't. Do, do you think about that? That Jesus... In his disciples, he gives them precious information. It says, knowledge of the mysteries. Another translation is secrets. Knowledge of the secrets of heaven have been granted to his disciples. But to the crowds, the larger group of people, it hasn't been granted. So then he goes on. To anyone who has, more will be given. Right? So the rich get richer here, and he will grow rich. From anyone who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because they look but do not see, and hear but do not listen or understand. Do you hear this? Like We know this experience. How many times have you, have you been talking to someone, and as you're talking, it's just really clear that they're not actually listening to you. They're maybe sitting, sitting there and like looking at you maybe even, but they're just, it's clear that they're not actually listening to you. I know I've done that to people myself, and I know that many of you do that to me every Sunday, but, but that's, that's beside the point. Uh, 
or, or, or sometimes, right, you might, you might drive past something or you might, look, you might look at a clock or something and immediately you will look away and you forget what time it is or you, you forget what, because you weren't really looking or you were looking, but you weren't really seeing what was there. Jesus is, is saying this. So, so as he's saying, there's something mysterious going on. He's like, these people here, they're, they're all hearing me, but they're not really listening. That's why I speak to them in parables. But then, then he goes on, and this is, this is actually where, it, to me, it gets the most uncomfortable because it says this, Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in them, right? So Isaiah prophesied way back then, like 600, 700 years ago, whatever. And he says, these people, they're all fulfilling this prophecy where Isaiah said, you shall indeed hear, but not understand. You shall indeed look, but never see. Gross is the heart of this people. Gross, like, do you hear this? Like, imagine this coming from the mouth of Jesus. He's looking at the crowds and he's saying, their hearts are gross. Gross is the heart of this people. They will hardly hear with their ears. They've closed their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and be converted and I heal them. So what's Jesus saying? Why does he use parables? He's using parables because he's saying, look at the crowds, they're not really listening to me. And so I'm speaking to them in parables because they're not actually intended for them to understand. The word parable, parabole, uh, the first, there's a couple of different um, meanings the word can have. The first one is comparison, right? So, so, okay, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to this. Okay, so there's a comparison. But the second meaning is this, a riddle. A parable is a riddle. What's a riddle? A riddle is something that if, if it's a good riddle, you really got to think about it. And a lot of times, even after you think about it, you might not get it. I, I've heard so many riddles and, and so many riddles, there's, there's like a twist in it that, oh man, I didn't see that coming. And I never would have thought about it had the meaning not been told to me. So when Jesus is preaching in parables, he's, he's not preaching so that it can be easier for us to understand. But instead he's preaching so that it's actually more difficult to understand. He's preaching riddles. Why, why would he do that? He does that because why? Because these people, they're, they're, they're hearing him, but they're not listening. And he wants to expose something in them. He wants to expose the hardness of their hearts in them so that everybody can be clear here about what's going on. Now, going back to the parable, what do we see? Well, we see that this sower, he sows generously and, and he's just like throwing his seed wherever, but, but among the different surfaces that Jesus talks about the seed landing on, in three out of four of them, the word dies and bears no fruit. What's the purpose of this parable? The purpose of this parable is for Jesus to expose that many people are hearing him, but they're not really listening. And so they're not going to bear fruit. And we know this, that, that in other places in the gospel, Jesus talks about how many people are going to ultimately choose the way that goes to destruction and few people are going to go the way that leads to life. Like this, this is meant to sort of catch our attention and not sort of, it's meant to catch our attention and lead us into what? And lead us to coming to Jesus, to actually ask his disciples if we are his disciples. And it's not lost on me that, that not everyone who calls himself a Christian is a disciple. That's not lost on me at all. But if we are his disciples, if we truly want to listen to him, this is meant to stir up within us a desire to know so that we actually draw close to Jesus like his disciples drew close to him and to ask the question, Lord, what did you mean? Explain this parable to us. 
Because if we're not doing that, then ultimately we're members of the crowd. And if we're members of the crowd, then what does Jesus have to say? He says, gross is the heart of this people. Gross. Because he goes on, why, 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 is he, why is he strong about this? Because the next paragraph says this, but blessed are your eyes. He's turning to his disciples now. Blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. Amen, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Jesus is telling them like, look, you gotta understand the incredible privilege that it is for me to call you to be my disciple. Because think of Isaiah, Jeremiah, think of, go further back, think of David and Moses and, and Abraham. Think of all of the holy people from, from of old and how they longed to see the day of the Messiah. They longed to, to see the day when, when God would come and set things right, when God would come and call the sinner back to, from his, his barren ways or from his, his, his wandering ways to call him back, to bring him to the right path onto the way of eternity. Think of how they longed for that and how they prophesied about it and how they expected it to come and, and by the end of their life, it didn't come. They longed for it, but they didn't get to see it. Jesus is saying, think of them and now think of yourself and how privileged you are that you get to be in my presence. If Jesus was anyone other than God, we would think he was like this super narcissistic guy. But as it is, he's God. And so he can truly say this. He's saying, you don't understand how privileged you are. And, he, and so he can turn on us. He can turn on you and on me and say the same exact things. Do you understand the incredible privilege, the incredible blessing it is for us to be able to come and, and open up the word of God and hear the words of Jesus proclaimed to us? Do you understand the incredible, incredible privilege it is that, that we all get to receive the, the gift of baptism, that we all get to receive the gift of the Eucharist if we're in the state of grace? Do you understand the incredible privilege it is, Jesus is saying, how blessed you are that you get to see this and hear this because all of these people longed for it, but they didn't get it. This, this is why the parable, this is why the, the need to be his disciple is such a, it's such a, I don't know, urgent isn't, isn't quite the right word, but in some ways, maybe it is. It's such an urgent thing because we, we got to understand the gift it is to be in his presence. And not just to be in his presence, but that he actually, he calls us forward. There, there's something about our opening prayer, actually, uh, this, this weekend um, that, that caught my attention. So open up to page 13 in your missalette. So the opening collect is what it's called. This is the part where at the beginning of Mass, after the glory of the priest says, let us pray, you know, and you all tune out. That's, that's like the part where, where, where the priest is praying. And what's he doing? He's praying on everybody's behalf. He's leading the people in worship. It's, it's, it's not always super clear, but, but back in the day, some of you know this, that back in the day, the priest would face the same direction as everybody else because that was the priest praying on everybody's behalf. So that's what's going on when, when I'm up here saying, let us pray and I'm praying, I'm offering prayers on behalf of the entire community. And this is what I prayed. Uh, so J July 16th, that's today, right on page 13. It says, oh God, who show the light of your truth to those who go astray so that they may return to the right path. So, so God who does what? God who calls straying humanity back from its sinful ways. We, we have all strayed because of sin. And God does what? He shows the light of his truth on all of those who've gone astray so that they may return to the right path. Not a right path, but the right path. 
So this is what he does. Now we ask him to do this. Give all who for the faith they profess are accounted Christians, which hopefully is all of us, right? We, we count ourselves Christians. So give us all the grace to reject whatever is contrary to the name of Christ and to strive after all that does it honor. The grace to reject whatever is contrary to the name of Christ. This, I was thinking about this as I was thinking about this parable, right? So Jesus talks about how, of course, there's the people who, it, where, where the word lands on like path, and so there's no hope for them. And then it lands on, on uh, rocky soil. And, and the moment that tribulation or trial comes because of the word, because of the kingdom, it, it withers and fades. But then he talks about those people who, uh, whose soil is like weeds and worldly anxiety and the lure of riches ultimately chokes the word. Here we're asking Jesus the grace to reject whatever is contrary to the name of Christ, to reject it. The, the word reject, right? I talked about this a, few week, a number of weeks ago. To reject means to throw it back, right? I, I don't, I'm not interested in this. I catch a fish, it's not a keeper, I throw it back. To reject whatever is contrary to the name of Christ. And I was thinking about how often in our lives, in my life, and in, in, in probably in the lives of, of the general population, and maybe in, the, in your individual life, I, I don't know, but how often Rather than rejecting what is contrary to the name of Christ, we just try to go around the issue. Right? We say things like, well, I know, I know that this, this doesn't really fit in with my Catholic Christian faith, but, but maybe there's a way I can still enjoy it anyway. And this, this can happen in a number of different ways. It can happen like in the things that we watch online or on TV or in the movies, or it can, it can happen in the music that we listen to and the, the different lyrics that maybe are contrary to the name of Christ. It can happen with, with our living situations. It can happen with our marriages. It can happen with the people that we vote for. It can happen in any number of different ways where, where we might en endorse or embrace a particular thing or person or action that we know, we know it doesn't fit within the context of our Catholic Christian faith. But for whatever reason, we just, rather than rejecting it, we try to like, get as close to it as we can without going overboard. Or, or maybe for some of us, we don't actually mind going overboard. And here we're asking the Lord for that grace to reject it. Right? This, this, is, this is the thing that like, is, is, in my mind, it's like, oh man, we're so many of us, again, and myself included sometimes, so many of us are stuck in the weeds that we're actually choking the word so that the word of God can't, it not only can it not grow inside of us, but eventually it's going to die inside of us. And if it dies inside of us, then, then on the day that we're judged, what's going to happen? Well, the Lord's not going to find his word residing in us. And if he doesn't find his word residing in us, then, then, then we're not going to find a place in the kingdom. And it's, it's not only that, but, but, but then this other line where it says, and to strive after all that does it honor. For our lives, for our life as Christians, like Jesus doesn't only call us to reject sin. He does call us to do that. But then he calls us to avoid bad, avoid evil, but then to pursue the good, to strive after all that does it honor. I just, I just wonder how many, how many of us, again, including myself, how many of us are really striving to bring honor to the name of Jesus? I don't know. I don't see that often in the Christian world today. Because after all, what, what are we called to do? We're called to bear fruit, but not just any fruit. We're called to bear fruit for the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of heaven. And I encounter a lot of people who are happy to tell me about the fruit that they're bearing in their life, in their, their personal life, in their professional life, in their, their, the life of their family, right? But, but so many times when I encounter these people, the fruit that they're talking about, it has nothing to do with the gospel. It has nothing to do with growing the kingdom of God. 
I've got too many people that, that I encounter that say, oh, my, my kids are doing this or, or my, my grandkids are doing this. And it's like, no, those are great things. But, but does that have any relation at all with their Christian faith? And too many times the answer is no. Right? Like, are we striving to bring honor to the name of Christ? I, I just don't know. And, and again, as I talk about this, I myself am recognizing, like, I, I don't do that. And, and I know it might sound strange for a priest to be telling you this, but it's the truth of my life. I'm human, just like any one of you. And I struggle with sin, just like any one of you. I struggle with, with sometimes embarrassment over my Christian faith. I struggle to talk to people about Jesus sometimes, just like any, any of you might. But as I talk about this and as I acknowledge the difference between what we're praying for and what we're reading in the scriptures and what my life reveals and maybe what your life reveals, as I talk about this, I'm convicted to say, you know what? Maybe sometimes if I'm honest, I'm not really sure I desire heaven in the way that Jesus wants me to desire heaven. But what I do know is this, that the Lord's invitation for me today is new. And the Lord's invitation for you today is new. And so maybe what we can do is we can renew our prayers and ask the Lord for that fresh grace, the grace that we need, the courage that we need to reject what is contrary to Christ and to strive to bring him honor so that we may bear fruit for his kingdom.